powerful Word of God can change lives, heal broken hearts, and save man's soul. Here's our prayer, Lord Jesus, today. Speak to me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and just let them know how much you love them. We're in our final message in our series. After the rose. Or, is that right? Am I saying that right? Or after the, I want to say after the ring, but that's not right. It's after the rose. Yeah, that's right. It's my series. I ought to know. <laughs> oh, well. We're on the last one. And uh, next week I'll start through leading up to Easter. I want to talk to you about some stories that you don't always hear about in Bible school. So uh, that'll be fun. Lead us right up into Easter. And I still have, I'm still wishing that I had uh, video creativity and that type of thing to create something for Easter because it's on April Fool's Day. I mean, my mind rushes to lots of different things. I just wish I knew how to put all that thought process on a video of some kind. But uh, I don't know, having the Easter bunny, you jump out and say, April Fool. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I saw one by the skit guys. It was so lame. I thought, really? You wasted all the time putting that together. But anyway, we're uh, we're finishing up today. And I've got the title of today's message, Roommates, Bad Dates, and Great Mates. And that's good, huh? I stole that from my buddy uh, Nelson Searcy down in Florida. Marriage, relationships are critically important. How we handle ourselves in those relationships can make all the difference in our personal growth and our I hate I hesitate to say happiness because you know but but there is a satisfaction within relationships and a peace you see if things are going well uh, in your notes, I want us to start, if you would, write down a reference of Hebrews 13.4. I, for some reason, skipped over that verse. And uh, I want to make sure that we get this verse, because it's a pivot verse, pivotal verse for what I want to say today. Hebrews 13.4, if you just write that reference somewhere on your uh, outline. And then I want us to repeat this verse together, honor marriage and guard the sacredness So if you'll read that with me. Ready? Honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. And you might want to say, oh boy, here we go. What's he going to talk about today? Well, I want you to circle two words. Or write them down. I say circle them, but write them down if you would. Uh, Jeff, go back to that verse if you would. Um, I want you to circle or write these two words down. Not circle them. Get off of that. The word honor and the word guard. Write those two words there. Honor and guard. And I want you to draw a line between them. Between those two words. Because God says we are to honor marriage. Just as we do with sex, sometimes we tend to lower the value of marriage. We make marriage into some kind of a civil ceremony 
instead of some kind of Christian commitment. And I want us to talk about that today. And then you see that word guard. Guard. The Bible says you have to be on guard. There's a lot to unpack in this verse. But the one thing about being on guard is that you've got to work at it. You've got to work at being on guard. It doesn't just happen. It's when you get lazy. And when you get complacent. That's when trouble can arise. And it does arise. Satan will make sure it does. Successful marriages require attention. Cindy and I attended a wedding last night of a co-worker of hers. and beautiful wedding. It was an outdoor wedding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You said the same thing that I said. Why are we out here in this freezing weather? At least, the, at least it stopped raining. But what was more amazing was were all the young ladies showing up with dresses that weren't... You couldn't call those dresses. I don't know how in the world they function in those little bitty skimpy things and some of them didn't have coats or anything I thought well they deserve that whatever whatever they they had to be cold but successful marriages require attention they require work and the preacher last night mentioned that that they've got to work at this relationship called marriage it doesn't just happen it's not just successful just because God will bless successful marriages, but they don't just happen automatically. God says marriage is a sacred bond. And when we have a marriage God's way, we get God's blessings on that marriage. But before we go too quickly, let me give you some misconceptions about marriage. And there's three of them. Let me get them quickly and then get on out of the way. Misconception number one. I have to be married in order to be happy. I have to be married in order to be happy. People say that. I've got to be married. Be happy. Well, that's not true. God never said that you have to be married to be happy. Being single is a perfectly legitimate direction in life. It is. If you choose to be married, great. If you choose to stay single, great. Both. Lifestyle choices have to be given to God anyway. Amen? So in God, the happiness will come. Happiness depends on circumstances. Joy comes from within. Joy comes from that relationship with God. And when you've got that relationship, man, it's great. Billy Graham died. Sad day. First first, uh, citizen, American citizen, besides some dignitary who's going to lay in state at the Capitol you know who the last one was 2005 Rosa Parks so you go from Rosa Parks a civil rights activist to Billy Graham I thought somebody pointed out on Facebook a great idea we have a Martin Luther King Jr. Day why don't we have a Reverend Billy Graham Day that'd be fun wouldn't it the liberals wouldn't know what to do with themselves praise God I love putting sticks in their eyes. Just when you mention Jesus, you just watch them coming. <laughs> if you say, God, they don't know what to do. 
the Joy Behars of life. Man, one day she's going to have to answer to God. The one that she doesn't think is there. Oh, man, how am I getting off on this stuff? Stay focused, stay focused. Stay focused. Singleness, marriage, it can be blessed of God. First Corinthians 7 says it perfectly. Well, in some ways more commendable, in some ways it's more commendable to be, uh, single than married. Um, I would encourage you to read the whole passage in 1 Corinthians 7. And, uh, if you wonder what I'm talking about. Texas to misconception number two. A successful marriage is all about being in love. The key there is the word all. All of marriage is about, is about this feeling. Uh, you know, marriages and successful relationships often begin in the heart. Men do some crazy things before they get married to the woman that they're chasing and pursuing. They'll do things, they'll talk in a way that you would never hear them again talk that way. Ever. Because once they've gotten you, ladies, the notches on the belt, they don't have to pursue it. the way they act, isn't it? Oh, if they would just be as romantic as they were before you got married to them. What happens when you put the ring on the finger and you say the vows and you make the commitment? What happens to that romantic guy that was pursuing you for so long and so hard and so fast? He would show up at unopportune times. You would come out of a... You would be shopping and all of a sudden he'd be on a park bench watching you. You'd get a random note that just would make just blubber you up, blah, 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 you know. How in the world? And then you've never heard him say those words again ever. I've been married for fifty nine years, and I've never heard him say those words again. What's wrong? What happened? And you stayed with him just to see if he'd say the words again. I got it. I understand. <clears throat> Successful relationships. Start with feelings, but successful relationships are maintained not with the heart, but with the brain. You've got to think about how I'm going to keep this relationship, this marriage going together. Sending notes, making inappropriate phone calls. Of course, now we've got text messages and emails. Careful though. Sometimes you can send that text message you meant for her to someone else. That's not good. <laughs> that usually can come back to get you. So be careful about all that stuff. But boy, send them. Send them. Years ago, and I say years ago because I used to be much more like that. I'd, I'd write notes. I'd, Cindy's birthday is on Valentine's Day. Thank you, Jesus, for letting me marry a girl who was born on Valentine's Day because I will never ever forget Valentine's Day and or her birthday so I used to I used to hire a male quartets to go and sing to her oh she didn't like that I used to write notes and leave them in the car and they'd, they'd build on each other you know for seven days leading up to her birthday I think she kind of liked that 
I used to get the little boxes of candy, heart, you know, guys take notes with it. You know, I get the little, little boxes of heart candies, you know, and so every, every day she'd get a new one with a letter, with a note, and it'd all build toward that birthday, Valentine's Day. Take some, take, you gotta take some time, you gotta think this. What's even more fun is to go down to her office before she ever comes, or get somebody within the office to help you, and get flowers and stuff in there, and she won't know how you did that. How'd you do that? See, you got me. Come on, think about it. So your brain has to get involved in making this relationship work. Okay? You make a commitment to stay with one another. Sometimes that feeling lasts, but it often fades. In marriage, you don't feel in love sometimes. In marriage, you, you, you actually you feel angry at times. Sometimes in marriage, you don't want to, but you'll feel hurt. You feel disappointment. Sometimes you feel nothing at all. I've talked to couples who just have no feeling at all. Successful marriages aren't built on feelings. Successful marriages are built on commitments that you've made one to another. See, that's a tough word. It's the hardest word for a couple to grasp and to hang on to is the word commitment. What are you going to do if one of them, within that marriage, within that relationship, what are you going to do if one of them doesn't keep up the commitment? Walk away? Quit? Or work to make it better? Work to bridge the gap? That's what God wants. And that's where the power of the Holy Spirit works, is when you can bridge those. Now, sometimes you can't. Because it takes two people to build a bridge. If, if, if a bridge has been broken, you gotta build it from both sides. Back. You don't start in the middle. You start on the side and you build it toward the middle. And the person who's created the problem should have to build more of the bridge. Amen? But that means that the person that has been hurt also needs to help reestablish the bridge. And when you see that kind of thing happening, Man, good stuff. Misconception number three regarding marriage. I may have been married, uh, or I may have married the wrong person. That's usually how the conversation starts with when they come to see me. And usually I'm, I'm, not, I, I'm the first guy they see, and I'm usually the last guy they see because I don't charge to be seen. So it's easy to come to the preacher, well, we're having problems. Can you help us? And then you help them. You, you start meeting with them. You counsel with them. And then they leave the church. Why? Well, because I know too much. <laughs> now I know way too much. But what's important is people will say, I've married the wrong person. And I'm going to make, hopefully you'll understand today that there's no way that you can marry the wrong person. Now you may not be like this like you're supposed to be but it's not that they're wrong you may have gotten in a hurry but it doesn't necessarily mean they're wrong see that's why I believe when a mate passes one of them passes away and you see the, the husband or the wife then find another person and become connected to them you see it's all about what's in the Lord now as long as you're married you ought to be like this Okay? 
and I've I've met couples that you just wonder how in the world do they live together? I mean, it seems like they fight all the time. But they've got children, so something had to happen. I guess they quit yelling for a few minutes. So we're going to look today at, and what I'm going to talk about is countercultural because the Bible is countercultural to what you're being taught and led to believe today. And what I want to do is help you understand God's math. M-A-T-H. God's math. And to understand that, the math of marriage, we've got to look at it in stages. Now the first stage is dating, but we're not going to deal with dating. I'm going to start, I'm going to jump ahead and start at, at the next one, which is engagement. Stage number one is engagement. And the equation for that is one plus one equals two. Engagement's a, a, an interesting phenomenon. An interesting phenomenon. Because in engagement, normally when a couple gets to a point of engagement, the next thing after that is a ceremony, a wedding. They're going to get married. Usually the man is hooked. Once she can get him to say, we're engaged, done. As far as she's concerned, done. Am I too far off, ladies? Now, men aren't quite sure they're done yet. Men are still watching this thing a little bit. And what I counsel couples, especially if they're not, this isn't working, it's easier to break an engagement than it is a marriage. How many many people have you dated and fell in love with and then broke up with them? Now, for some of you, it's hundreds. I, I know it's in the hundreds. I know for some of you, you know. Because you love them, you leave them. I used to teach my boys, have lips, will travel. Um, I used to say, let's print some business cards up. And that's on, that's the key thing on your business cards, have lips, will travel. I said, before you go to high school, I want you to, I want you to have dated and kissed a hundred girls. That's going to be 25 a year, so you're going to have to get with it. What I was trying to get them to understand is that it don't stick with just one. Move around. Find out what's out there. But usually when engagement comes, man, it's it's ugly. It can't get ugly. Because a woman now begins to plan for a wedding. I don't know how much money this couple spent on that wedding last night, but it was a lot of money. They fed everybody. There's over 200 people there. They fed everybody. I mean, poor old Parmenter wasn't on the road driving until it's Paige decided to get married. He started telling me how much it was costing. Man, I was having loaning money. My goodness, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of those, it's a gift that just keeps on giving, isn't it? Amen. Genesis 2, God said, The Lord God said it is not good for man to be alone. Boy, that's true. The most pitiful thing in the world is when a man is alone and he looks like he's alone. Pitiful. It's like a three-legged dog. Just pitiful. And God will allow certain people to meet other people. And He will allow one person to come together with another person. Then those two people agree that they should move toward marriage. So engagement in many ways is that ramping up toward marriage. In our day, engagement almost leads to that. 
But that's not necessarily what engagement's all about. Engagement is a time for couples to, in that premarital state, to begin to really, really dig at learning who each other are. Women should know how that man treats his mother. Is he attached to her at the hip? That's going to teach you something. You're going to be in deep trouble. Because you'll have to compete with her. Because see, it's going to be hard for him to cut that apron string. So ladies need to be watching for that. Men, how does she treat her dad? How does she, What relationship does she have with her dad? She hates him. <laughs> well, guess what? She's going to end up hating you. Oh, no, not in our relationship. Okay, gotcha. So we have, it should be a time of building. It should be a time of learning. It should be a time when you're seeing each other in, in various ways. And start looking, asking questions, going through things. How many kids do you want to have? How are we going to discipline kids? He may be a beater. Well, kid gets out of line, you beat him. And you may not be a beater. You may be one of those, well, let's reason with them. Okay, you take your three-year-old that acts like you and reason with them. How's that working for you, as Dr. Phil says? Good piece of advice. 2 Corinthians 6.14 Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And that's a powerful verse to remember. That's a powerful principle to remember. Because if you get somebody who doesn't believe like you believe, trouble down the line. Now, one or the other could change. I got you. <clears throat> but it's a little unusual for one of them to change. Because we tend to believe what we were raised up to believe. Amen. I mean, it had to be right. Mom and Dad taught me this. It had to be right. Oh, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, they always said, it's had to be right. So it's tough then. You marry somebody that doesn't believe like that, doesn't think like that. I like the way the Catholic Church does it. I really do. Because if you're going to marry a Catholic, you're going to have to be one. So I think we should require that. If you're going to marry somebody that's a Christian, then you've got to be one. <clears throat> and if you're not one, we're not going to do the wedding. Well, that forces them to change and they don't really want to change. Oh, really? You see. Because when you have children, who are you going to raise them? Are you going to be in one church or the other church? Are you going to be in both churches? I know a couple that the, the husband and wife thought they were different faith drives, different faith groups. So the children came along. One of the child went with dad, one of the child went with mom. That's what you got. You got a divided house on spiritual things. So be careful about that. Because God understands when two people come together that that marriage more than anything needs to be built on love. So when a non-believer comes together with a believer, the level of love is different. Because when, you, when you're a believer and you come into a relationship, you're already coming under the surrender of Christ. You're already coming with the understanding of great agape love having been poured out on you from the cross. You understand that. But a non-believer doesn't get it. A non-believer thinks love is about them. 
It's all about here. It's all about here. It's all about here. What happens in marriage is that you don't both change. You both decide to sacrifice. You both decide to surrender to each other. You both decide. It's not me. It's we. It's not mine. It's ours. First Peter 3.11 says, Work hard at living in peace with others. I mean, that, that's just a universal verse that we should apply to ourselves. But especially in the confines of marriage, we should learn to be at peace with that person we're married to. Amen? Got to be at peace with them because, boy, it's ugly otherwise. You even hate to come home. <laughs> you hate to come home. Absence makes the heart grow. How's that finish? Fonder. Most people say absence makes the heart wilder. <laughs> they take it as full advantage of it. No, you should be, oh, I can't wait to get home. I can't wait to get home. I can't wait to get home. That's what it's about. And in this age of technology, there's no reason why if you have to be separated for whatever, jobs or whatever, there's no way that you can say, well, I really, we just really can't communicate. <clears throat> it's because you don't want to communicate. Now, Lincoln, my granddaughter in Houston, we do the FaceTime thing with her. And she just, you know, we call. She doesn't take time to talk to us. We just get to sit and watch her do what she normally does whenever she's doing her stuff. And occasionally she'll stop back by and she'll go, Hi, Gigi. And then she'll move on. It's nothing about Grandpa. It's all about Gigi. Got it. She's been brainwashed. It's sad. It's sad to watch So stage one, stage one is engagement. Stage two is the ceremony. To the actual act of being married, that going through that ceremony, boy, <laughs> they can be elaborate or real simple. I think one of the most fun ones I've been a part of in the last several years was uh, Sam and Vanessa reconnected and uh, remarried. And Sam's mom and dad are deaf. And so my daughter-in-law, Misty, got my the script for the wedding, the ceremony. And then she went over it. And so she sat up here and she signed the whole thing. So Sam's mom and dad could feel like they were a part of the ceremony. And I love there was a few things I would say about commitment. And I could see her mom and dad going, it was delayed. But they go, you know, they have to say anything, just that head nod. That's all you needed. But it was a very, very special time, just for so many reasons, but a very special time. And then to watch them as a couple interact with each other is awesome. It's just awesome. Uh, to watch Paige and Derek at their wedding. You know, Derek's this big strapping football guy, you know, knock your head off. Just, I mean, he just, he, all he has to do is look at you and your whole world changes. But to watch him blubbering up and doing all, you know, while they were, sharing their vows and going through all the things. They did one thing. It was really neat. They, they did a cross presentation where uh, Derek would put it together because he's the leader of the house spiritually, right? So Derek took the pieces of the cross. Pages goes inside his cross. Then he puts the pegs in to hold it together. And the pegs represent the Holy Spirit because without the Holy Spirit, it's not going to work. Remember what I told you? Hold on to the cross and then kind of slap each other with this other one? 
It's really good because you can't get a good swing. <laughs> so, but hang on to the cross because that's the stability you need. But I love being a part of that that, that ceremony too, and being being a, a part of their life in that way. In God's eyes, marriage is not a contract. In God's eyes, marriage is a spiritual commitment. Because we stand before a group of people, and we stand before Almighty God, and we make a commitment and a vow that we're going to stay with you forever until death do us part. God means that. He wants you to mean it. Because God's not going to leave you in the midst of trouble. When you turn on God, He's not going to leave you. He's going to stick with you. Hallelujah. Have you ever have you ever known him to leave you and just never never come back? No, it's not him that moves; it's you. But you come back, and what do you come back to? No, no, no. Sorry, man, you had your chance, buddy. That's not the God I know. The God I know is sitting on the porch looking for me to come back, and when he sees me at a distance, he runs to me. That's the God I know. That's the mercy that we heard in that song earlier. So the math for ceremony is one plus one equals one. You see, in the engagement, you're still two people kind of floating along here. But once you do the ceremony, once you get married, you now, two people become one person. It's not ours. I mean, it's not mine. It's ours. It's not me. It's us. See, how did Cindy used to tell me? She said, uh, my money, your money is my money, and my money is my money. <laughs> I thought, oh, okay. And it doesn't matter what wealth level you find yourself, the woman is going to control the pocketbook. Just get used to it. Let her have it. She's going to spend it anyway. So just relax. Take a deep breath. Lock her out of the uh, lock her out of the account. I don't know. But you see. This is a merger. One plus one is one. It's a merger. It's not a contract. It's a merger. Trinities become one. They no longer exist as they did before. Instead, something new has been formed as a result of the merger. Again, in Genesis 2, God says, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. In your in your outline, underline that uh, the, the little phrase two are united into one." Underline that. You become one now. Marriage begins as two separate individuals from two separate families, and they come together to form a new family. You are a new family. I'm not saying you can't have associations with your uh, previous families. On each side, I got you. Have associations with them. But when it comes down to it, you're a family now. Walk out of the door, you go home and be a family. Mamas, daddies, leave them alone. They call you and want, they call on advice, that's one thing. But if they call and want you to straighten out a problem, hang up the phone. Well, that seems awfully, awfully <coughs> harsh there, preacher. No, make them go work it out. You had to, right? You had to work it out. Make them go work it out. Make them work through it. Don't fight it for them. You've already been through your fights. 
Let them fight now. Marriages that don't have a struggle aren't really much fun. Cindy told me one time, she said, we just don't ever argue much. I said, yes, ma'am. That was Ralph Brandstetter's answer. How have you been married 50 years? Yes, ma'am. Whatever you want, you get it. Okay. But you know, the imagery of two becoming one, man, how powerful is that? When I can stand arm in arm. See, I might be struggling, but boy, I've got, I've got my wife with me. I'm not going to struggle as much. There's two of us. There's two of us. If tough times are coming around us, there's two of us. And that's, that's a beautiful picture. And that's how God wants it to be. But you've got to be willing to sacrifice. There's no way two people can become one in marriage without sacrificing, without submitting, without each person becoming a little bit less of themselves. John the Baptist is a great example. He said, I have, I have to become less so that he can become greater. That's it. I've got to become less so that she can become greater. And then she says, I have to become less so that he can become greater. Ladies, you know, if you don't know, let me tell you a secret. Most men will move mountains if you will do one thing for them. Oh yeah, have sex. I know it. Have sex. No! No! Here's what you do to him. When he walks in the door, you go... When's the last time you did that to him? Instead of him walking in the door and you're going, it's about time. <laughs> These are your children. I'm out of here. Yeah, I got you. What that man needs from you ladies more than anything is to, in your eyes, be the only man that's ever walked the earth. And you tell him with your eyes. You do. Tell him. I did something this week I'd never done before. I went to a, a, a snake oil doctor. Have you ever seen one? Been to one? Had, had somebody tell me that, hey, you ought to go to this, this person there in Sepulpa. And they are. And they, she looks in your eyes and tells you what's wrong with you. I just thought, really? This could get dangerous. So we went. Took my glasses off. She starts looking. She's she's looking and writing with her left hand. Turning paper over and writing some more. Turning paper over and writing some more. I had several of those turns over and writing some more. She started pinpointing things that were wrong in my body. And I thought, how does she know that from looking in my eyes? But she did. She said, why is your left kidney not working right? I said, because the right one don't work right. I said, neither one of them are working like they're supposed to. But how did she see that? I loved it. It was a great experience. She was very humble. You know, she wasn't this over, over, overly, you know, arrogant person. But I was amazed. But you see, I want Cindy to be able to look in my eyes and see something that I don't have to tell her. Couples who've been married a long time, you wonder how they figure this out. It's because they can look in their eyes and know what's going on. And they can bring help and comfort and aid 
were needed. 1 Corinthians, you know, because there's this sacrificing and this giving of yourself to the other person to make them better. It applies <laughs> in every aspect, even our own bodies. Look what it says, 1 Corinthians. The husband should not deprive his wife of sexual intimacy, which is her right as a married woman, nor should the wife deprive her husband. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband also gives authority over his body to his wife. This, this is the verse I always emphasize with couples before they get married. Is that if you will always, ladies, if you'll always be ready to have sex with him, care what time of day, don't care any of that stuff. If you're willing to do that, and he knows you're willing to do that, why in heaven's name is he going to go outside the house to find it? He's an idiot. He's going to go outside the house to find it. And vice versa, gentlemen, you've got to be ready. If she's if she's looking at you funny, you've got to be ready. Oh my gosh, how tired I am. Look how tired you are. But one wants to have sex with you. Are you nuts? Wake up, brother, wake up. I need to hit you with a two by four or something. But just think of all the heartache that has been put upon humans, men and women and to each other because they didn't listen to the power of this verse of Scripture. Now I'm not saying and Paul is not saying that it's okay for a man to rape you or assault you. Or vice versa. It's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is, is that you need to be ready. Anticipate. Anticipate. Be ready. Two becoming one. Two becoming one. Marriage is not about compatibility. Marriage is not about finding that perfect person that can put you, uh, put up with you just the way you are. Live the rest of lives in perfection, happiness. No, marriage is a process. One of the biggest reasons for divorce is that married couples never really want to do what it takes to move to stage two, to be a part of the ceremony. They don't want to go to one plus one equals one because that takes sacrifice and they're so blasted selfish they can't figure it out. And somehow a baby comes around during this time and one or the other one is so selfish that they don't care about the baby either. Oh, they act like they do. But they really don't care because they're still hung up on what they want. If you're going to have a lifelong marriage, you've got to allow God to make you into the right person. But the key is that you surrender to the Lord. Your interests are not to be put in front of the other person's interests. Your interests are to be pushed aside. You need to learn sacrifice. You need to learn kindness and patience and forgiveness and submission. And above all, you've got to learn to love. Becoming less as an individual so that you can become more as a couple. Paul says it this way, love is patient and kind. Love does not demand its own. Love is not irritable and keeps no record of when it has been wronged. Now let me review real quick. Stage one, 
is is one plus one equals two. Then stage two is one plus one equals one. And now we're in stage three. Stage three is what we might consider the ever after kind of of stage. It's what happens beyond the ceremony. Now the math equation is one plus one equals infinity. That's what the sideways eight means. It's infinity. It never ends. They're locked together. And it goes on and on and on and on and on until death do you part. You've seen it. I've seen it. Couple's been married 50, 60, 70 years. One dies. The other one dies pretty soon after that. Seen it so many times. And they're really not sick, but it's just part of them left. <laughs> I've seen men. Men are, older men are the most pathetic in the world. When the woman dies, they don't have anybody to wait on them anymore. You know, they'll hold up a, they'll hold up a, a empty glass with ice in it and rattle it like she's supposed to drop everything and come fill it back up for him. <laughs> I know women that will come and get it and go fill it up, don't you? What happens when she rattles it and the man's does he have to drop everything and get some get it for her? Yeah, right. He'll walk out the door and keep going because he's still selfish about who he is. Just call it what it is. Call it what it is. One plus one equals eternity, forever after. It's difficult to obtain. Doesn't mean your marriage has to be perfect. Perfect marriages are the only kind that can last for eternity, but you've got to work at those. D.J. Chesterton, Catholic writer, said marriage is an adventure like going to war. <laughs> Billy Graham asked one time about his, his marriage to Ruth. And what's the secret of love? He said, Ruth and I are happily incompatible. Bill Cosby, talking about marriage, said, For two people in a marriage to live together day after day is unquestionably the one miracle the Vatican had overlooked. Mike Mason wrote a book, classic book, old book, called The Mystery of Marriage. How can one... In that book, I'd recommend you try to find it. It's, It's well worth the read. How can one person stay together with another person for all of eternity? Well, the mystery of marriage, the miracle of marriage is that God, in His supernatural way, makes us eternally connected. How do, how can I be eternally connected to Jesus? Billy Graham said, when I die, I'm not dead. I'm living forever. And he made that quote long before he actually died on this side of heaven. I love the cartoon I saw this week. Somebody drew of, of him getting to heaven and it shows Jesus embracing him saying, Welcome home, Billy. Welcome home. I said, Isn't it? That's why we go through all of this. But your marriage can be such an example of how Christ and us are. If you'll let it. If you'll let it. Eternally connected. Mark 10. God's plan has seen from the beginning of creation for He made them male and female. <laughs> this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. They are no longer two but one. Let no one separate them for God has joined them 
together. That's what Jesus said. That's how Jesus described marriage. It's not between male and male, female and female. It says God made them male and female so you would fit together. Literally fit together. Best thing ever God ever created was sex. How many of you say amen? Come on. Reminds me so much of the preacher that used to do a Sunday night thing once a month. He'd have them, uh, uh, they'd call out, people would call out a certain thing and then they'd find a song and they'd sing to it. One of them was, uh, somebody said love and so they, they sang Amazing Grace and then there was two or three others and, um, one, one guy said, um, he said, boy, it escapes me the, the song, the song, and he started humming it. And a little old lady, she's about 70, 80 years old in the back. He started humming this song. What song is that? Precious Memories. But before the song was introduced, somebody said, Sex! <laughs> and this woman started, she said, Precious Memories. Bible says in Psalm 127.1, Unless the Lord builds the house, the work of the builders is useless. And I say, unless the Lord builds the marriage, the marriage is useless. you got to put God in the middle of that marriage or it's not going to last. Period. Period. Let me give you four things. And they're not in your eyelids. You'll have to write them down. Four things I want you to work on to help your marriage become a successful marriage. Number one, at least once a day, once a day, express your love and pray for one another. At least once a day. Because you never know when you leave that house or they leave that house that you're actually going to see them later. There's no guarantees. Those mamas that sent their babies off to school didn't expect not to see them anymore. The NRA is the problem. What about the three policemen that stood outside with their guns drawn? Of course, they were fiddled, they fiddled around. It took them so long to get the one bullet out of their pocket to, you know, get in. At least once a day, express your love and pray for one another. Number two, at least once a week, date your mate. Once a week, date them. Go out on a date. Remember, you used to get all gussied up and ready to go, put the cologne on. Now, if you smell like a racehorse, hey, it's good. She's good. Really? I was in college, I was going out to dinner and to a movie with a girl, and uh, saw her come jogging up the road. Five minutes before we, I was supposed to go pick her up. And she looked at me and saw me all dressed up, and she goes, I'll be, right, I'll be, I'll be ready. I thought, you've got five minutes. And says she was. <laughs> and smelled like it. You can throw all the clothing on you want, but you can't cover that smell up. There ain't no way. But it was it was a good it was a good thing because I set her over there on that side of the car and I stayed on my side. Never the twain shall meet. But take them once a week. Take them out somewhere. I don't have any money. You don't need money. Go to a mall, walk around. Go to a park and walk around. Especially if it's pouring down rain. Hey, that's more fun. But find a way to date your mate. Number three, at least once a month, 
give extended focus to your marriage. Now that can mean several things. Uh, maybe there's a marriage seminar in your in your community where you can go. Uh, they do one here in Tulsa every year around this time of year. Um, maybe you can begin to listen or read books together. You know, some way to extend the focus in your marriage. It's really important. The number four. Unless once a year, get away with your mate. Now that's tough when you got kids because you got to have somebody who you trust to watch your kids. I got you. I understand that. Usually grandparents can do that, but they may not be available. They may not be around. They may not be close. It may be difficult, but try as best you can once a year to get away with your mate. Every time Cindy and I can babysit Jeff and Misty's kids so they can go somewhere, we're helping. We're helping their marriage. Plus it gives us time to spend with our grandkids. And then we're grateful when they come back and take them away. It's, it's awesome. We're both convinced that young people are the ones who are supposed to raise kids, not old people. That if you do those daily, weekly, monthly activities, day by day, week by week, month by month, that marriage is going to build into something that will last for eternity. If you'll begin to work at it that way. 1 Corinthians 13. Make a commitment. Make a commitment. It's one of the best chapters of the Bible. That, that's the homework I want to give you. Is to read the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 7 is our memory verse. And it's, it's a powerful verse. And it just reminds us. Jeff, can you go back to that memory verse so we can look at it? I should have thrown it in my outlines here, but there we go. Love bears all things, read it with me, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Pray with me. Would you, Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that we can love and show a love that never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. And God, we claim this verse. We claim it in each of our lives individually, whether we're single or married, because love and loving people with that unconditional agape love is the best way to live. So Father, whether we're single or married, may we live the life that you've called us to live so that we have you as the most important and then whoever it is in our relationship second behind that. But God, there may be somebody here today that just doesn't have that kind of relationship and they want it. Well, today would be a great day for them to get it. If they have questions, it's time to get in the Scripture and let's find the answers. Whatever decision they need to make, would they today? In Jesus we pray. Amen.